Dan Pfefferman. And I'm Benny Shoulder, and welcome to Jewanced. We're two Jewish guys. We grew up in America, we live in Israel, and we're looking to challenge popular conceptions, think critically, examine independently, and most of all, seek nuance. Each episode will host a different guest. Together, we'll take a deep dive into politics, foreign affairs, religion, science, technology, food, the arts, business, you name it. A lot of it will deal with the Jewish world in Israel, but not all. Our goal? To create a platform where people share their stories, insights, and visions. No talking points, no script, no agenda. Just a deeper, nuanced understanding of the world around us. Join us as we explore, think, debate, and discuss, and perhaps most of all, listen. Juanced. You know, like like nuanced, but with a J? Yeah, they get it. Dude, let's just start. Hey, everybody out there in podcast land. Benny coming at you here with Juanced uh, next to Dan Pfefferman. And we're sitting here in our friend's office in Rehovot. Um Corona has struck. Yeah. Do you want to tell everybody what's going on in your house, Dan? Oh, I don't know. Geez. It's a little sensitive, but uh, no, it's not why are we here? My daughter had to go into isolation because a kid in her class uh, had uh, has uh, Corona. So she has to go into isolation. And luckily, she's uh, being super mature about it. Uh, you had a little Corona scare. Yeah, we'll get into my Corona scare. <laughs> and our guest uh, is also uh, affected by Corona here. So uh, without further ado, yeah. so we are very lucky to have with us the really uh, funny uh, stand-up comic and writer, Avi Lieberman. How you doing, Avi? I'm doing well. Post-corona. That's my switch. I had a bag yeah. in April. So, that's, yeah. Yeah. so Avi is joining us from Tel Aviv. And the per- the re- that's part of the reason because my daughter's in isolation. He's not uh, sitting with us in person. And he's also uh, kind of affected by Corona. We'll talk about that in a second. But just to quickly introduce our special guest, Avi uh, is a longtime stand-up comic and a screenwriter. And he has appeared on uh, numerous comedy shows and comedy uh, Showtime, uh, Comedy Central, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it's a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> the Late Late Show, The Late 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 Show, The Later Than Late Show, yeah. The Early Morning Show. Greg Ferguson um, did that one three times, yeah. Yeah, so a uh, hilarious comic, does a lot of Jewish comedy, not Jewish comedy, and uh, we are very lucky to have you on our show today. Yeah, thanks and for having me. It's our pleasure, and the timing is because, um, well, you were in Israel uh, trying to do what you do every year, which is a really awesome thing, and that is raise money for a charity that you started and are involved with um, to raise money for kids who are affected by trauma and terrorism. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, I mean, this is going back probably, you know, 12, 13 years. We, I, I began to bring a group of comedians here to perform uh, just to kind of brighten the mood when there were terrorist attacks going on. And uh, it sort of morphed into doing it for a charity called Crossroads. And then it sort of, uh, and from there we went on to do shows for the Kobe Mendel Foundation. It's called Comedy for Kobe. And yeah, they work with children of trauma. They have a summer camp uh, twice a year. They have grieving mothers groups and like year round programs and, you know, retreats and all that stuff for parents and um, so that's kind of how it started. So I bring a group of comics twice a year. And unfortunately, you know, with all the Corona craziness, we're, we were, weren't able to do the last one in May when we would normally have it. And we also normally have one over Sukkot. So, um, I was born here. I was born in Israel. So we, you know, talking to the brass. So like, Avi, why don't you come? And instead of me doing 15, 20 minutes up front, I'm closing the shows at 40, 45 minutes. That, and I'm using like whatever local guys, you know, they're Leo Shemto, Benji Lovett, Yossi Trouble. So enough yes. guys who have done some TV, you know, Leo's was on America's Got Talent, Britain's Got Talent. Huh. There are, you know, enough guys here, thank God, who are like, you know, very, you know, prominent Anglo comedians that's, or guys who can perform in English. 
and that's what we've been doing it. But we've been obviously hampered. It's just by the amount of people you're allowed to have. So we yeah. did a, a couple of shows in Yishi, like a moshav just outside of Beit Shemesh. And it, it's sort of like you just have to register to come. And then we ask that people donate like at the end or, you know, go online and contribute. So it's, we've been able to make some money now, you know, up to this point. But with this impending lockdown, uh, yeah. that sort of put that on hold. So I'm actually going to leave Israel. I never thought I'd have to leave for the high holidays. I'm going to go to Greece on Wednesday. I mean, it's like we can't do shows. It's sort of point. I went through uh, isolation for a week and a day. Uh, that's that's enough. enough for me. So um, <laughs> then I was able to get out of it. Um, it's a, a friend of mine in the government said I wouldn't have to do it at all based on my, you know, I have the antibody since I went through this already. And oh, so you actually had COVID? Oh yeah, absolutely, no wow. question. <laughs> yeah, nice. Um, yeah, I, I pretty much had every symptom except the uh, except the breathing issues. Thank God. But um, it's yeah. Basically, I landed at the airport. I was like, hey, I've got the antibodies. They're like, we don't care. So they, and they went and they. Sent me to, you know, a friend of mine is actually in L.A. now, and I'm staying at his place. He hasn't been back here since January. He works online. So he's like, I'm not going to come back and, you know, spend two weeks in isolation. So it, it's kind of nice. He stayed at my place over Shabbat. You know, I'm in the, you know, it, you know what they call the hood in L.A., Pico Robertson. Yeah, so sure, I sure. think it's a better end of the deal. I'm at his place. You know, no one's really been here since January. And um, so I've been staying. This is, um, you know, a few nights here and there back, back and forth in Jerusalem. But I've been using this as a base. And, um, you know, doing as many shows as we can. But even it's been great in Tel Aviv. It's sort of been open. So even I've been even doing like open mics and things like that. Some guys have been very nice inviting me down to do their shows and things. Um, I've got another one tonight, Dancing Camel. So, but, um, you know, so it's but if I can't do the shows for the charity, it, it, you know, it makes it kind of tough. And if they're going to lock down everything, it's, uh, you know, I'm going to go to one of the green zoned countries, which is Greece. I already talked to the rabbi there in Athens and have the hotel around the corner, which is pretty cheap. You know, and I'll just stay there over the high holidays and yeah. so, and then I'll come back right before Sukkot starts. And hopefully over okay. at that point, if things are eased up, we're going to try to do as many shows as we can over the uh, Holomoid middle days of Sukkot. We hope so. Yeah. One of the reasons we wanted to have you on now was uh, first of all, to get awareness for, for the show, the series that you're trying to get here in Israel. And so hopefully by then enough people will have listened to this and we'll get the word out. And secondly, uh, even if they can't uh, and we'll repeat this at the end, uh, how can people donate to this uh, wonderful cause that you're uh, trying you to respond? go to comedyforkobe.com, K-O-B-Y, or, uh, you know, there'll be a link there. And I, and I think you can just go to kobymandel.org, uh, K-O-B-Y-M-A-N-D-L-L.org. And uh, just, there's, it's, you know, it's easy to donate on there. But, yeah, they've been – I mean, our comedy tour is their biggest fundraiser of the year. So normally we're used to having theaters with, you know, five 600 people in them, sometimes mm-hmm. seven plus. Ooh. And who were some of the guys? That, uh, who were some of the comics that you were bringing in from the states in previous years? Uh, I think I brought over Craig Robinson, uh, Harlan Williams, Jeff Ross, uh, Brian Regan, uh, Brian Kiley, that um, you know, Dwayne Priest. The list goes on and on of uh, Gary Goldman. Yeah. You know, a lot of great guys. Uh, Dan Natterman, a bunch of you know, a ton of t- ton of really good guys. Kira Sultanovich, Mary Ellen Hooper, Judy Gold, Gina Yashere, uh, AJ Jamal, Steve White. L- list list kind of goes on and on. Uh, the word has kind of gotten out that it's you know, it's one of the Better gigs. I'm not saying monetarily. I'm not saying I could compete with like corporate money. You know, if Google hires you to do a birthday party, obviously I can't compete with that cash wise. But it's, I think word is out amongst the comics that as far as your experience goes, you're going to have a great time coming here. The crowds are great. You know, the, we try to treat them as nicely as possible. We stay in nice hotels, you know, and try to fly business, the whole thing. And so it's like birthright for comics. That's what everybody says. Everybody says like, you know, it's, it's birthright for comedians. So I get teased. It's funny by the other Jewish comics. They're like, 
you should bring me. I'm Jewish. I'm like, you should be going anyway, man. That you know, I got to bring the non-Jews. Yeah, you didn't wait for me. To- <laughs> so, yeah, it's the non-Jews have a have a, a minor inherent advantage. Um, you know, because it's, they're viewing things from a different perspective, and the the Jewish audiences love seeing you know their eyes open to Israel. So and what they material they come up with while they're here and all that kind of stuff. It's funny. Everybody asks, we want to go last. We know they write stuff while they're here. I'm like, I can't control what theaters are open when, man. I, you know, it's you know so. But yeah, it's it's always fun to watch. You know, people who are not Jewish, no connection to Israel at all, come here and experience it, and especially view it in a in a, in a funny lens. Is always. Uh, Do you have to like kind of prepare them for it in advance? A little bit. That you know, I mean, I tell them generally, I don't really bring dirty comics. You know, you're doing a show on Beit Shemesh, you can't be dirty. But it's, I, I don't really want to hamstring guys. I don't have a problem with dirty comedy as long as it's. But I'm not going to do that to a guy who's used to working that way. So I just bring people that generally work clean anyway. I tell them sort of the underground secret is that Tel Aviv is quote unquote the naughty show. Um, you know, in Tel Aviv you can kind of do what you want, but um, it's not over the top. But generally they're not dirty comics anyway. Um, but yeah, I just tell you know keep it clean and stay away from the politics. It's just too confusing. Um, you know, as far as the, dealing with that kind of stuff, it can be all over the place. So those are the yeah. two general rules. That's it. What does Jeff Ross do when he's here? <laughs> oh, but, um, Jeff was great. That, you know, I mean. Jeff can mini roast people, then uh, that um, you know, but he's he's got great jokes, you know. So it's 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 funny because he's so noted for the roast, but he really does have great material. And uh, that, no, he was a favorite when he was here. You know, he's that overly sarcastic kind of low key, you know, style about himself. That it's yeah, you know, I mean, he's very fun. Jeff is one of my favorite bits about um, that's you know, he has a very old aunt and she and his dumb cousin. I, I'm paraphrasing it. I don't do it as well as him, but he talks about how his 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 aunt died at 99. And his idiot cousin, oh, how'd she die? How'd she die? Her shoot didn't open. You know, she was trampled at a Who concert. You know, <laughs> she was bucked off the Bronco at the road. How, what do you think how she died? You know, it's, it's stuff like that that he does, you know, it's really right. laugh. So, you ever have somebody ask her, like, you know, I don't want to, I want to go to Israel. It's kind of strange. Or what are people going to say? Or, you know, um, I think that, um, that used to be the case back in the day that, you know, it, safety concerns, all that kind of stuff. But that, that's kind of waned. And, um, now it's just that, you know, the fear is like, is my stuff going to go over? That, you know, I mean, and I, I try to tell the non-Jews, they're like, no, they, they like you more. Like, you don't need to win them over. Like, as soon as you made the effort to come. So as soon as you had to say, because, you know, the, the crowds here aren't dummies. You know, they know what the media is like. They know Israel has awful PR and, it's, you know, that you've braved whatever you're watching in the news. The fact that they show up is, you know, they the, the audience is like it. Great. I was amazed. I, mean, I got to hear, uh, it was Louis C.K. probably Four years ago, right? Yeah, very Am I allowed to say his name now? Um, Louis C.K. A few years ago, you're allowed to say his name. He yeah. did ten thousand people in the, the the Jerusalem basketball arena packed. Yeah. Tickets literally sold out in an hour, and they had to add a second show, and that sold out within like a day. So he had twenty thousand people in two different shows. On yeah, the same yeah. Day. Comedy's hot here. You know, I, I saw uh, Jim Jeffries. Uh, when I was mm-hmm. here, our tour ended the day before he sold out half a basketball stadium, um, you know, that they had set up, um, that, you know, I mean, it was nice. We got to go backstage and schmooze with them and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, it was fun. That's kind of the beauty of being an American comic and going overseas. I, you know, it doesn't necessarily work the same way going, you know, an Israeli comic going to the States to do his material, you know, probably. Uh, you know, the only, it's funny because, uh, Shakar Hassan, um, that he did a tour in LA at the Wilshire Bell Theater. He must've had, uh, it's, you know, like 800 people there. And uh, it's, you know, he's got a following. But again, it, it, you know, the whole thing was in Hebrew. It was funny because Shakar called me and uh, it's, uh, I dropped him off at the comedy store and I was exhausted. Like, it was just like we went there two nights and I was tired. He says, no, I want to go back and, you know, hang and see it. And so I dropped him off and all of a sudden Yossi Tarablus, uh calls me and goes, you almost just got Shakar killed. I'm like, what are you talking about? There was some like gang shooting or something up there. 
And, it's, and he was out on the patio when this guy just walked up to somebody and shot him. That's and really I, that's all I need. Yeah, I drop off shot for whatever responsibility. It's funny that he goes from Israel to the comedy store to get, you know, watch somebody get shot. Um, and I did that, you know, it felt terrible. But it's like he caught, he ducked under a table. I was just like, what? I couldn't believe this. Wow. Yeah. What's going on with the store now? The uh, it's, store. it's the same as the other club. They're all closed. Um, you know, so that's why it was so refreshing for me to come to Israel and at least there was a semblance of life here. And, um, you know, in Tel Aviv, I was, I was on stage five times last week. I mean, between the comedy for Kobe events and just, you know, very nice local comics asking me to come down and do whatever shows they're, they're putting up. Um, you know, I, the last time I was on stage in the U S was March 10th, you know, so it just, I, you know, I've had some zoom events, you know, I've got a couple coming up, but, um, it's, uh, on Thursday, but, uh, it, I mean, you know, one for my university and an alumni event and one for a company here, I mean, but it's obviously there's no substitute for performing live. In front uh, of I mean, also with Zoom, it's like you can't try out new material because people are recording you. Uh, but you can, you know, you kind of have a gauge of what is, uh, you know, yeah, it's very hard to run it. Obviously, you can't. There's there's nowhere to practice, you know, in terms of those situations. Yeah. And how do you see if you're laughing? Right. I mean, part of the part. I mean, I, I'm a lecturer, which is very different than than a comedian. But you, you're always trying to gauge the chemistry you have with the audience. Right. Right. So how do you do it Zoom? It's really hard. Well, it's interesting because the first one we did, we were concerned. The first one I ever did was uh, Mark Schiff, who actually opened for Jerry Seinfeld when Seinfeld was here in Israel. And um, so it was over Cholomo at Pesach. And I'd never been thanked so much walking through my neighborhood of people just like, thank God you did this. We really need this. You know, a, a ton of people tuned in. And um, it's, we were concerned, like the comics we were discussing, like, how do we do this? And Wendy Lieben, a great comic, she had said that she had done one or two before and said, it's best when you just sit there and like you're engaged into the screen, no backing up or holding a mic or anything like that. Um, so that's you mute everybody. We've learned this over the, over this past few months. Mute everybody that, I mean, they've actually, I haven't really had any clunkers yet. Thank God. They've all been pretty good. And, uh, that's cause you, I, me as the comedian, I can decide whether they're going to be in speaker or gallery view. Cause as a comedian, if you don't hear laughter, your natural instinct is to speed up. You tend to go much yeah. faster and jump to the next joke. So you don't want to right. burn your act in two minutes because you, you know, by nature of it, you're not going to hear anything. And I, that you can't really leave certain mics open because it's, the, the picture will bounce back and forth to the, to the noise that you hear, even if someone's laughing. Um, that, and so what I do is I focus on hopefully the few people that, are, you know, the people that are having a good time. It's, and that sort of helps your timing. It helps you slow down and. All those kinds of things. So I haven't really minded it, to tell you the truth, that much. But it's clearly not like you know a sustainable. No, future. no, no. It's, it's, it, there's nothing like performing in front of a live audience, getting an immediate reaction and in person. Obviously, and, you know, and to hear laughter, it, it's you know there, there's no substituting for it. But um, you know, it's, look, it's the times where the, you know we're doing the best we can, uh, you know, given the circumstances. It sucks, but you know we'll we'll try to make the best of it. I, I gotta ask, out of, out of all the. Um... The shows that you've done recently, either via Zoom or during this weird Corona time, what's the worst joke you? What's the joke you've had that bombed the worst? Um, I had a joke that was like food uh, online and Zoom, but that, that, I mean, I knew it was going to be so, that, and I did it literally just to make the other three comics on the show laugh, that, which it did. That's I mean, because I were, see them. Um, is this like the world's first Zoom heckling? Uh, no, it, it, it was funny. It was a friend of mine on the East Coast who had asked me to do. It was like an afternoon show, but it was eleven a.m. LA time. And, um, he said, yeah, I said, sure. And I was headlining it. So I was last and I knew the other comics would kind of stick around, you know, just to be polite. And, um, so I did a show and he, he actually left. He said, there are four or five people that I know that are very good laughers. There is like an East coast. It was like a young college age crowd. There were like three of them, mostly girls, I think. And he said, so I'm going to leave their mics open. It's just so you can hear it. 
And I went, okay. So I went on and I said, this is the first joke I did. And I literally, and I knew it was mostly East Coast people. And this was like right kind of in the height when it was really bad. And um, and again, keep in mind, this was just to make Sarah Kami, a couple few other comedians laugh. Uh, people asked me, they said, obviously, is it normal to do a show at 11 a.m.? And I said, honestly, it is. But usually those shows are in nursing homes, but they're all dead. So you don't really need to worry about it. And I, I hear like, Ooh, that's not funny. That, you know, and I see Sarah like snap back laughing. So I, I knew that's what I did. You know, I did it, you know, just to be crass and crude, but it's, you know, when else can I do that, that joke? So yeah. that's the only time I've been heckled over Zoom really. <laughs> so, yeah. You have different material for uh, Jewish audiences and non-Jewish audiences? Yeah, yeah, sure. The, the people ask me, it's funny, like when I'll do, uh, it's like, let's say I'm doing a Chabad event. So then they'll, or like an Orthodox show, obviously I'll wear a yarmulke and things like that. So they ask it you. They're like, oh, do you wear your yarmulke on stage in Vegas? I'm like, yeah, along with my towels and fill. And I'm like, no, obviously not. It, you know, you adjust where you are. It, um, you know, obviously in Vegas, you're doing jokes about Vegas. Um, you know, when you're in Israel, doing jokes about Israel. <laughs> it, it, you, you try to, you know, do the best you can. As to where. Obviously, the goal is to come up with enough material that crosses over. You obviously, you know, I try to come up with as much of that as possible. That, that works in numerous places. That's, those are the jokes you're looking for the most. But obviously, you want to have stuff that specifically hits the audience that you're working with. What have you found in Israel? Are you talking to mostly uh, Hebrew speakers or Americans who are here? No, it, it's mostly Americans. I mean, it's the comedy for Kobe shows. Yeah, you know, obviously it's, you know, the comics I bring aren't Jewish. Obviously it's not in Hebrew. So mm-hmm. it's in English. I would say we have the most Israelis, I would say, come in Tel Aviv. It, it, you know, it's just they're native born Israelis, but their English is very good and they can understand. Most native born Israelis know English pretty well anyway. We have some that come in Renana. Um, you know, it just depends, but, um, it's, I, I remember like once I, I was, I was kind of sneak to the back of the theater. We were in Safta and one of the comedians is on stage and, uh, the Yossi Tarablos was sitting with a bunch whose English is excellent. And he's sitting with a bunch of the other Israeli comics. And one of the comics did a joke that was more, you know, English wordplay tough to, and he got a big laugh. And I see three heads kind of turn to Yossi and whisper at him like this. And I see him whisper back and they all crack up laughing afterwards. And, you know, he had to, few times like a delayed, you know, or you know, but it was one of those things where uh, it's but most ninety plus percent of it, any Israeli that knows English well is going to be fine. Yeah, I've, I've noticed Israelis get at least some a lot of American humor because they watch American TV so much. You know, they they grew up watching Friends. Especially stand up, essentially, is sort of an American art form. That's sort of where that you know it started and exploded. So it's that's always going to be kind of the you know the the, the go to arena. I would say if you want to study the history of it and all that kind of stuff. So. Yeah, definitely. How, how long have you been doing uh, comedy for Kobe? Comedy for Kobe, I think it was 11 or 12 years or something like that. Um, I think we've had 20 plus tours. That's amazing. Maybe with them. Yeah, that's, it, we used to do it uh, once a year. Then we had, now we started doing it twice a year. And now it's actually three. We, we started doing it over Sukkot. We have like a Sukkot special. It's where I brought Elon Gold and Modi. Uh, and then Elon again. And so the, this year was canceled. And next year, we're going to try to do like a mega Elon and Modi at the same time. Maybe Sarge. It's, you know, that the Sukkot one is just me and one other guy, like who can sort of cater to that kind of, you know, modern Orthodox, maybe slightly right of that crowd that usually comes over the Sukkot holiday in, in Jerusalem. So what's uh, what's Rosh Hashanah going to be like this year? I don't know. I'll tell you, I'm going to be in Athens. I have no idea. You're the second person that I know that's that's going to Greece to flee this uh, this impending lockdown. It seems yeah, to be the place. Yeah, I mean, look, I, the whole point of being here was to do shows. So this, even if this lockdown does, does not happen, we obviously can't schedule anything when everything is like in limbo like this. this I mean, I feel bad because we had, you know, a guy wanted to do three separate events in Tel Aviv, one for Lone Soldiers, two for the Kobe Mandel. You know, I can't do this now. You know, so it's what we hope is that you know, I'm flying back right before Sukkot. And is that, um, that we can thank God there are five nights of Holomoed. It's, and people do have Sukkot, people are off, even, even if you're working, 
that, you know, if you have a day job, a lot of people are off during that week. So this right. people have sukkah parties during the day. So I have a Zoom meeting with the Kobe brass tomorrow. And what I'm going to propose and what we're going to talk about is that, that um, you know, look, I'm here to be burned out work-wise. So if you need to send me to a sukkah just to entertain the family and they want to kick in X amount of shekels or dollars to the foundation, that's, let's do that. You know, show me three, four places. You know, hopefully by then I'll be able to move around and travel. That's, you know, I, if it's what they're saying it is, and by that week things should be third week, it's okay. We're just going to hit zones that are tough. Um, you know, hopefully at that point, it's, I'll be able to maneuver around and travel. Just visit. I, I did that. To, actually, it's, it's, it's not abnormal. A couple of years ago, I think over Sukkot, I went, um, it's just some, you know, wealthier family. Can you swing by our sukkah literally to do eight to 10 minutes and I'll pay a bunch of money. I said, okay. That's, you know, and I came in and they loved it. I just came in. I did a few minutes without a microphone. How, how'd you get involved in this? How'd you get involved in this uh, charity? Um, it's actually funny when when um, I first let when I was looking for a new charity that's when you were looking for a new one. It's sort of the, the tour, like in a good way. We mutually agreed to part ways, and it, it had outgrown the, the smaller one that I was working with. They just couldn't handle, you know, it was too much stuff. And uh, so uh, I was looking for a new one. I said, "Listen, thank God at that point we had some sponsors." And um, so I said, it's, "Listen, it's, I contacted two or three big charities, and I just randomly emailed back one that was sending me like a charitable email to you know send us money type of thing." And I emailed back. I said, listen, I don't even know if anybody's reading this, but, and I explained the situation and I get an email back. Yes, we know who you are. I've been to your shows, whatever. And uh, two separate big ones. Like, so let me get this straight. We don't have to pay the comics. I go, no, we don't pay for their flights. I go, no, we don't pay for the hotels. I go, no. And we keep every penny from the gate. I go, that's correct. I go, too good to be true. Forget it. Uh, that's only Jews. <laughs> so one of the guys that for this big charity, which believe me, you've heard of, that he goes, I'm so disgusted with my boss's answer. I'll have a charity for you by the end of the afternoon. And I was here over Sukkot. That's just here over the holidays before, obviously, we started doing the shows over the holidays. And uh, I remember I was crossing the street on Indian Roll. My phone rings later that afternoon. Uh, Kobe Mendel Foundation. I remember hearing the story about what happened to him, you know, the, the boy, him and Yosef Ishram, that they were killed, you know. The two boys that was, story. Yeah, yeah, and um, so did, and I remember hearing the story, and I was just like, I asked, I said, listen, did their board agree to, you know, and he goes, no, 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 it's, uh, you know, their board already agreed, and it's fine. So I learned later that they never told the board, right? They just did it, made all the money, and when you want to do something, they're like, yeah, I guess, and, you know, but he sort of said, they're going to do what Seth and Sharon, but Seth and Sherry Mandel do say anyway, but the executive director, Roy Angstreich, had, had been to the shows and enjoyed them. So it's, he was already on board. So that, that helped. And uh, it's been a great marriage ever since. I mean, I remember the, uh, it's the first tour we ever did, uh, Seth Mandel, uh, Dan, I think Dan Adams on stage, and he's someone's on, one of the comedians is on stage killing as usual. It's, and he, Seth turns to me and he goes, you know, everywhere Sherry and I go, people kind of walk on eggshells around us. Cause like, uh, what do you say to somebody who this happened? Hey, he goes, now all of a sudden these people are coming up to me. This is great. When's the next one? This, you know, he said, all of a sudden we're more socially accessible just because these non-Jewish comedians who we don't know come over and do these shows. He goes, this is great. I do this again at cost. And then Roy, the executive director goes, let's not go crazy. <laughs> but, um, you know, so, so that made me feel nice that they, you know, they were, it's, it, they like it too. They love schmoozing with comedians and hanging out with them. And it's, they have a profound effect on the comedians, actually. The comics who come over, especially the ones that are parents, uh, really enjoy meeting Seth and Sherry and talking to them. And it's, I had one, one comic. This isn't anything I wouldn't say to Greg if he's right here, but Greg, Greg Rogel is a great comic, but he's got a kind of a quick fuse. Greg can get upset, um, at things kind of quickly. So then, and he kind of, Seth had a very profound effect on Greg that he, he kind of would, he calmed him down a lot because he realized, uh, you know, look what this man's been through and he's still got 
a positive outlook on life. And maybe it's not the end of the world that my phone isn't working the way I want it to today or that, you know, that he kind of, you know, mellowed him out. But he has a great effect. I, I still remember this day, Mike Loftus, we were, um, it's a great comic. And he and Sherry were outside. We were just having dinner or something. And they stepped outside for a second. And so I see them talking. And it's, to this day, I've never asked what it's about. But Mike came down and he sat down. And he just kind of privately listened. He goes, you ever need me to do anything for this foundation? Uh, I will drop whatever I'm doing and, and come and do it. Wow. No questions asked. But okay. Are they still live in the same house, in the same community. Well, what? Yeah, yeah, they're, uh, yeah, they're still in Tacoma. Correct. Yeah, that's true. Though it's like, what do you say? It's like the same thing for me. I don't know about you. Like, I get uncomfortable every time around, you know, somebody who's had a, a loved one die, even if it's just like yeah. an old grandparent. Yeah, it's, it's, that. Like, what do you say? I don't know. Right. Yeah, that's, so it's, like, I think that's you know. I mean, again, it's you, everybody wants to say something that's helpful, that, you know. But I mean, that what are you supposed to say? It's not gonna, you know. But I think that in the end, I think they just want to be treated like regular people, and you know. So the, the fact that this allows. This is kind of an opening for someone to come up and talk about something else aside yeah. from, you know, the tragedy that I think that, you know, they like it. Um, you know, plus they both have great senses of humor and that, you know, they always tell like some cornball joke before they bring me on stage and I make fun of them. And I did, you know, so it's kind of fun. You know, we, we, you know, we have a good time with it. How'd you get started in comedy? I flunked out of law school and med school. So then that was the only other option. No, I'm kidding. No, that's, that's the standard. <laughs> um, that's not, I mean, I was always interested in, I was sort of weaned on my dad, you know, get like he had the 2000 year old man and, you know, Bill Cosby albums, you know, you know, pre-rape Cosby, all that stuff that, you know, uh, that, you know, all the stuff or maybe post, you know, who knows, but, uh, and Carlin and all that. So I was always interested in comedy and I was interested in, you know, acting in theater and all, you know, um, to a point, but, um, it's, yeah, I was, I probably my senior year in high in college, I'd say I began to look at standup more analytically. of just like what made something funny in this. And then I moved to LA to pursue acting and stand up right out of the gate. And I think, you know, just, uh, went from there, but it was always something I was interested in. Where were you living before LA? Where did you grow up? I grew up in Houston. Uh, there's like the formative years. I, I was born in Israel, Naharia. Lived there till I was like lived in Israel till I was like three and a half. Uh, moved to Boston for a couple of years. My father was studying, but like five years old through the end of high school was Houston. Um, then I went to school in Binghamton, upstate New York, and then from there I went straight to straight to LA after that. So, so what's the what's the journey of like a beginning comic? Uh, I was watching what was that HBO show they did? Um, you know what I'm oh, talking passion? about. Yeah, yeah. Have you seen Crashing? No, it's, it's really good. It's, yeah, uh, it's a little- it's a good yeah I mean, it depends. I, it's interesting. I would say it depends on the city. Um, you know, that I, I started in LA, which is sort of like working backwards. Um, you know, the, the advantage is I'm watching better people. I'm watching. You know, if you're in you know North Dakota and you're doing stand up, I'm sure there are open mics around and places you can perform various bars. But it's, you're not going to be able to watch a guy's been at the Tonight Show four times. You know, I can I watch better comedians coming up. So I think it sort of raised the bars to what I needed to do in terms of like coming up with material that, and that kind of stuff. It, it, uh, you know, cause you, you can get, but you get good on the road. You know, when you're out of LA, it's very hard to be, you know, why should I put the new guy on when I have someone who's been on Letterman four times, you know, so it's hard to get on stage there. It's so uh, it's, you take whatever stage time you get, wherever you can get it. Who are your influences? Who are some of your comedic influences? Um, it's, it's, there are plenty. I, did, I would say like, you know, aside from the albums that I would like listen to growing up and stuff, but the, the guys that I would watch early on that I really liked, uh, you know, Doug Benson, Todd Glass, uh, Steve White, Andy Kindler, and, you know, Jimmy Pardo. A lot of the guys that, that wouldn't go over here very well, but, you know, they make comics laugh. Um, you know, a lot of those guys were, uh, were great. And, you know, and obviously, obviously sitting back and watching the greats, you know, when that would pop in, you know, like a Ray Romano or a Chris Rock or a Riser, obviously Seinfeld, you know, um, guys like that. that you know, that, that you're fortunate when those guys, you know, Damon Wayans, when they would come in and you'd sort of rush in to watch those guys. Um, you know, which is kind of nice. You get to see how they operate and, 
it, uh, you know, so it's, but yeah, that's the fun part about being in LA, New York is, you know, you can watch the best of the best kind of pop in and work things out, and, you know, so that, that, you know, that was interesting. You said comics that, that make other comics laugh. Is there a difference between, are there some comics that are appreciated by comedians, but not by the general public and vice oh, versa? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They sort of, they make jokes. It's uh, the terms like uh, back of the room guys who make the back of the room laugh. Um, you know, yeah, those, those are guys who are kind of making fun of comedy itself. Um, which is funny if you've seen enough of it and experienced enough of it. Um, you know, but it's, it's, the audiences here haven't seen enough, you know, they see comedy twice a year, basically, when, you know, when the guys in Beit Shemesh, it's not like there's a comedy club you're going to all the time. <laughs> true. My best friend from high school growing up is a comic and, um, and, you know, we just talk about it a lot. Oh, who is it? His name is Dan Mogul. At any event, I hear all of his stories and I hear like, you know, just the, the, the vibe that he gets lived through trying to build his career and, and being involved in a different scene and whatnot. And it's like, I live here. So I feel like I, I just can't connect to that. It would be like, you know, I was a big baseball fan before I moved to Israel, but you can't watch baseball when you live in Israel unless you're willing, you know, not willing to get up at three in the morning to watch baseball. Uh, on TV it's also an awful sport. So of course and you is, can't watch baseball. Baseball is not an awful it's sport. An awful it's sport. a great, oh, come on. I get the MLB package. I, I watch the archive games on MLB. Good for you. I do. Football. I do too. And now football season started. I'm very excited. Can we all agree that soccer is just a disgusting? Soccer is boring, I guess, but absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's, look, it's very difficult. You know, I mean, it's like any other career. You're not really going to get good at it until you've been doing it like eight to 10 years anyway. Um, you know, but it's, yeah, it's one of these. Plus, that the game has changed. You don't really need a sitcom anymore to be a big deal. That's, you know, you can become a YouTube star and, you know, you, could, you know, have a podcast and just, you know, build a following. Yeah, Matt Pearson is that he's a comedian and he, uh, he created a show called, uh, The Set List, which they were doing on Comedy Central. That, and he said he had to pitch to them Russell Peters, who, uh, and they didn't know who he was because, like, he doesn't have a sitcom or a movie of these executives. And he's like, He's the most famous comedian in the world. They're like, well, we've I go, I understand that in the world. That's, and like, it was ridiculous. He said, this is absurd. Like, I, you know, times are changing and sort of the people he was dealing with at the time weren't kind of on board yet. It's just probably like a big aha moment for him too. Like if I'm pitching Russell Peters to this group of people that controls, you know, the resources here on this place. And if they don't know who he is, maybe I should move on. Yeah, well, it, it, that's the, it, it, you know, everybody talks about YouTube and the internet. It's, it's good, you know, like anything else, it, there's a lot of good and some bad. And, that you know, you don't really need a suit anymore to tell you that, you know, yes or no, that you can do it yourself. Um, yeah, you know, uh, at the same time, that it's, it opens the floodgates for, like, any loon ball to, to come in and do something and, um, you know, that, with those kinds of things. So it's Loon balls like us with a mic with microphones. No, no you, you guys are the top, top of the list, right? Uh, the, top know. of the list. Okay. No, I mean, there's been a massive disruption to the to all industries, and and anyone you know at least can try to start and can can get in there without having to go through all those filters. You know, the corporate filters, and gatekeepers, like they used to, the gatekeepers, right? All right, and yeah. it's open the door to a lot more talent, but it's also opened the door to a lot of crazies and losers. Yeah, and it's, and, it's harder to filter through like who did you know? But you just need one or two things to hit, and if that's you know, what vaulted Jim Jeffries was that he did that one bit about gun control that's, and that was sort of spread mm-hmm. like wildfire, you know, and that became like a, you know, a trending thing. And that was it. That went viral. And that was it. That, you know, Russell Peters that Russell Peters tracked down the kid who made like a edited a bunch of his clips together. And uh, Russell didn't know how big he was. And he later gave that kid, I think, a little stories like gave him like a hundred thousand dollars to thank him, wow. um, you know, for that. Cause, cause it's, Russell, all of a sudden, he's getting these requests, and he's like, each side didn't realize, like, will you do another show in this thing? He's like, okay, but you'll, you'll pay me again, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, each side didn't understand 
that, you know, I don't remember the guy's name, but he was opening for Russell. He, Russell had gotten an offer to do a show in like China and Hong Kong. And uh, he's, the money was okay. And he said, oh yeah, that sounds good. And we'll fly out. And um, that's, but the guy was completely honest with him based on the numbers and the people. So Russell walks in and it's, he didn't realize how big he was at the time. And uh, he was still the struggling, you know, it's, and he walks into this massive theater. That's all these people. And he sees what the ticket price is. And Russell goes, hey, listen, you have to pay me more. This is ridiculous. Like, I didn't realize you weren't honest with me about the, the situation. Well, that you have to do. Russell goes, listen, we either split this or I'm leaving. And I remember <laughs> tweeting, telling me the story. We're standing outside of the improv. And uh, the guy goes, you do that. I'll see you. Sue me for what? I don't have any money. You can sue me. You either split this or I'm going. And the guy goes, well, I'm not. And he goes, and Russell, he said, the guy telling me the story. He said, Russell looks at me, he goes, let's go. And we, he said, we got to the middle of the street. And the, he's, this guy has this packed theater with all the yeah. Do, right? Okay, and he pulls him back. So he said, all of a sudden, he has fifty, sixty thousand dollars in his pocket, and he doesn't know what to do. So he calls his brother, who's like a finance guy, and goes, "Don't move! I'm flying to China to help. The, you know, can you leave with this? I do what's the, you know, <laughs> right? That was kind of the beginning. You know, he had no idea that he was just from you know being on YouTube and you know being online and all that stuff. So. You know, his barrage of jokes about uh, Indian merchants and Chinese merchants haggling with each other. Did that come from this bit, that this experience? Or I wonder if it, uh, you know, you know, he's traveled so much, I have no idea where that stuff comes from. But the, the, it's interesting because he's such a nice guy that, I mean, and a guy that level, he likes MCing. It's interesting. Like when he did, the, I mean, usually it's like the MC is the newest person, uh, depending yeah. on the situation. But he would do the show for this comedian named Jay Davis, who used to run the show and, uh, at the improv. And Russell would MC it. We were like, Russell, you're like a huge deal. He goes, oh, and he goes, no, I like it. Like, he like, he's so good with the audience. He's so good at crowd work. You know, he enjoys just goofing around with them. I mean, it's he's funny. very funny, very quick on his feet. So, uh, you know, he's fun. Yeah, I noticed, I noticed Americans at least a few years ago when I first started watching him on Netflix. Uh, and watching all these, you know, he's filling stadiums in Australia and China. Yeah, he's you know, private security, East. I think, in Indonesia. Like, he's like a rock star. Yeah. Like and um, Americans didn't know who he was. And I'd yeah. be telling, you know, my dad, uh, you know, who likes to watch comedy. Uh, and I would be telling, you know, friends of mine, have you guys heard of this comedian, Russell Peters? He's, you know, he's Canadian, Indian guy. Never heard of him. And I said, you know, he's like literally the biggest comedian in the world. They've never heard of him before. Um, he did do a show. I don't know if you saw it. It was on the Indian cop, I think it was called, or like the Indian detective. Yeah, the, no, the Indian, it, Indian cop. I saw it. I don't remember what it was. It was brilliant. He played this like he's great. Russell's a great comic. Yeah, oh, great. Do you do um, other stuff besides uh, stand up? Uh, yeah, I write films. Also, I just uh, I'm a big uh, I'm a big history nerd. So I like uh, I wrote a film about the Exodus, but only through the eyes of the women. Um, okay, and uh, exactly. called, entitled Miriam. That was a bunch of research with I with I did research with uh, a man named uh, uh, Rabbi Abraham Lieberman, no relation to me, but, but when I asked around, like, who's the guy, by the 10th person going to check with him, like, he's this history, you know, geek, and so uh, he sent me stuff I would have never found on my own, and it, it sort of stemmed from, I would just watch movie after every few years, there's something about the Exodus coming out, and it's just, they're either not great or just grossly inaccurate based on the text, just basic stuff, and the women were always, like, left out, there's that quote in the Talmud, were it not for the righteousness of women, we would not have been redeemed in Egypt. I'm like, well, somebody should tell that story because I don't even know completely, like, why, where does that quote come from and why? And I did, once I heard that, I was like, I just did a little digging and I just found the story to be interesting, you know, between Miriam and Badia and all those things. And did, and I remember sending it to Rabbi Lieberman, who's Orthodox, and I said, vet it to death. And he goes, I have no problem with this. This is fine. Wow. It's, you know, and then we sent it to a pastor. And he goes, this is great. Then we sent it to a female reform rabbi. And I thought she would hate it. I was like, here we go. Let's go. And she's like, 
I have no critiques. This is great. Here are my favorite parts. I just say, all right, great. So, you know, when you have various clergy vet it and, you know, we do it to make sure that, you know, every side would be okay. Uh, then one of the producers, like her father's a pastor. She goes, you mind if I send it to him? I go, go ahead. That, you know, and he had no problem. I mean, it's, you know, a couple of years before Jesus was born. So I can't imagine what they would have an issue with, but, um, you know, so it's, yeah, so that's interesting. And, um, did the movie get made? It's, well, that's what we're working on now. It's, there are some people who are excited about it, and it's with every email, and it's, it's progressing forward in a good way. Because we just had a director who was extremely excited about it, who's got Emmy awards and this. He's more in the TV, and so, you know, no one's read it who's really gone. Oh, this is ridiculous, you know. Because I think it kind of hits both narratives. It hits, you know, I'm championing women. That wasn't really the goal. I just thought the story needed to be told. Um, but at the same time, it's it's a Bible film, so it kind of I think it hits both left and right as far as you know, whatever viewpoints you have, it's, you know, it, it can hit, it's the feminist side, but at the same time, it's a Bible story. So that, you know, it, it can hit both, both arenas of the American public, I would say. And it's in general, it's, it's a good feel good story. It's, um, you know, in, in that sense. And then the other one I wrote is about St. Patrick, believe it or not. Uh, I went to Ireland three, four times to do research, met with a professor of Celtic studies. And I was just like, it's cause I heard about St. Patrick. I don't know anything about the guy. And I, I've never, the guy fundamentally changed Western society and no one knows anything about him. Um, you know, so this is awesome, actually. You you fly to Ireland on a whim because you want to history. You want to study the history of St. Patrick. Yeah, I went three times. Yeah, I met with the professor twice, and uh, I just felt like I needed to. Um, you know, I remember first night I went. I went. I go. I need an old pub where like the old guys hang out. When you walk in, and like, who's this guy? It's to ask around. And four old guys standing there, and I I begin the film in modern day Ireland, and it sort of like flashes back. It's and I see the four of them sitting there. And I go, hey guys, you mind if I just do it? They go, no, go ahead. They're very Ireland's. They're the friendliest people on the planet. Excuse me. And I and I go in there and I even offered. I say, can I get you guys around? They go, no, lad, sorry, strict rules. Like it's like they wouldn't even let me buy them around. It's like they rotate. And I said, can I bring my laptop down and just show? I want to make sure I have the dialogue. Or this, like, yeah, I would say that like that. There's no question. You know, so they were very helpful. And it's, you know, I wanted to have it more. And then I went. I met with a professor, and he did keep me honest. Like I, I had one scene which I thought would be nice. When I did the research, I was like, well. Where's the part where Patrick kills all the Jews, whatever? You know, I feel like that's common. And, but he never, like, he's a pretty open-minded, you know, it predates the Protestant-Catholic divide. Thank God I don't have to deal with that. Uh, you know, it's like late fourth century. And uh, so I remember I had an idea for a scene where I said, uh, and I ran this by the professor, I wanted to have Patrick sort of just going, he was a big literacy advocate. That was his thing. Most people don't know, one, he's not Irish. Two, he's not a saint. No one knows this. He was kidnapped by Irish pirates when he was 16 and sold as a slave. There are Irish pirates? Oh, it was its own industry. Huge. Yeah. So my friend goes, Avi, any movie that begins kidnapped by Irish pirates, I, I, I'll, I'll take a look. Where was he? So his name probably wasn't Patrick. Uh, his real name actually was Maywin Sukat. But uh, this Patrick means father. He was taking that later. But it gets, gets to keep it easy and not confusing. I just call him out the whole where was he? Where was he from? Uh, what would be modern day Wales? Banavan was the town he was in. But it would be Wales. He was a Roman citizen, basically, and a Christian. But a, a very rich, spoiled brat. It's, you know, non-believer. His father was a deacon and his grandfather was a priest. It's, and he was one of these rich, nah, not for me. It's, and obviously that changes once he's thrown into slavery and becomes a shepherd in the fields and finds God. Like many, you know, historical figures, finds God in the field as a shepherd. And he's the only person ever of ancient record to uh, be sold as a slave, escape, make it all the way back across an ocean, reunite with his family, and then voluntarily go back uh, across the ocean to his captors. And he basically turned Ireland into the center of literacy within a century of his death. Paragraphs, capital letters, separating words on a page, that's all his 
his influence. And like, no one knows this about the guy. You know, it's just like, oh, we drink. Holiday where you dress in green and drink. Yeah, you get yeah, it, yeah, that's all we know. But I think his color used to be blue. All these things have been, you know, changed over the years. But, um, and uh, it's, yeah, it's just, it's one of those stories which is like, how has this not been made a new movie? This is a great story. And, you know, and if, I mean, I remember I had this scene where I wanted Patrick, like, just sort of going over a scroll and out of the forest pops, like, a, what would obviously be based on their dress, like a Jewish family. And they kind of stop and they just kind of make eye contact, smile, and they each go their own way, which I thought would be a nice, tender moment, pointed moment. And the professor looks at me and goes, yeah, and tell me, Abby, where are you getting Jews in Ireland in the early fifth century? I was just like, I can't go. Sorry, lad. That's a bit of a stretch. I go like, so, you know, but he kept me honest. Like, he wouldn't let me do it. I left it out. You know, I thought it would be a nice scene, but he's like, no, that's not happening. That's, you know, I was like, God, he goes, the earliest, but, you know, but it was interesting. He would give me a history lesson as we go on, you know, so it's, but, you know, he kept me honest. So that's a great Irish accent, by the way. Um, oh, thank you. I spent enough time there. The Irish one sort of creeps in. The more you, time you spend there, it begins to creep away the yeah. after a while. So that's, yeah. You go home and everyone's like, Avi, dude, Irish. Yeah. There's a friend of mine uh, who lives in Ireland. He's American. And he, the way he speaks now, every now and then you sort of hear it come out like that or be speaking in a sentence. And I was like, if you were to tell him, like, or you're from Dublin, there are obviously differences whether you're saying Dublin or Dublin, you know, depending on what part of the country you're from yeah. and all that. So they're like accent from the island. So it's. I hear that here with a lot of people, actually. Like the longer people are, you know, Americans who live in Israel, the longer they're here, they'll hear even people we've had on the on the on the and, show. Unless they live in Beit Shemesh, maybe, yeah. Right. Unless they're like Beit Shemesh, <laughs> or they're, not, they're not speaking Hebrew anyway. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. We've had people on the show that are American that are, you know, they'll. But I, I like have, uh, eh, yeah, I have, fr- I have friends. Uh, I have friends in Rehovot who are Irish, like Irish Jews, actual Irish Jews, and they've they've been out of Ireland so long they lost the accent. I was in Australia last two weeks. By the time I came back, I was speaking with a full-on Australian accent, and uh, you were there for like two weeks. Man. I know, and I had the full look. No, they're, they're, they're trying to make fun of the Australians. Hey, you do whenever they, you know. It's, I, I have a joke in my act about that. They, uh, it's, it's like they have a first grader nicknaming everything. You know, yeah. what's that? A Wogsy Doodle. Like, what? Who are you asking? Like, what's? Why is that the name? It doesn't even make sense. Like an uh, what's what should we call that elevator? An upsy damsy. No, that's too accurate. That's uh, you know, <laughs> you know. So they, they shorten uh, everything. Everything has to become a nickname. University yeah. becomes uni, and like you know, uh, yeah, Barbie. Barbie. Yeah, like everything has a first grader is nicknaming everything. You know. <laughs> so I, I got to ask when you when you're writing a movie, do you as the scriptwriter do you get ideas of who you want to uh, cast for certain roles, or is that not even? At this stage of, of um, I don't think about that. That um, you know, it's ideally when you're writing a movie, unless you're writing it around an actor or around. Sometimes it's you know there are people who, who do that sometimes, but um, no, I'm just trying to drive the story forward. You know, as accurately towards the text. Obviously, there are things you fill in as a screenwriter. That's your job. Um, you know, but it, with Miriam, I wanted to keep it. Um, you know, based on the, you know, for example, I'll give an example like with Shifra and Pua, right? So it's, they're not never even mentioned really in almost every story. It's and the first example in human history in text of defying a state law based on ethical grounds were those two. You know, they're the reason why the Nazis going, I was following orders. I got, that's not an excuse because Schiffer and Pua were asked to do what you were asked to do. And they said, no. Um, so that's, you know, you're, they're not even in the story. You don't even mention them in all these movies. That's just like, how are they not? So there's, so there's a question like, were they Egyptian or were they Israelites? So it's 50, 50, depending on which interpretation you're looking at. So it works better for me if they're Egyptian, right? That's, that's better for my, now that's legitimate. That's fair. Like I checked with the rabbi, I said, would people give me flack about it? Probably, but it's a legitimate perspective. There are, 
the Farsi, you know, there are commentators that say it's based on where they were speaking, you know, in the third person, both they, the Israelite, you know, that they were probably Egyptians and also said that they were given houses, right? Which is a very vague term for what they did. So some people say they were given lineage, other people. And there's one of the rabbis who said, no, they were thrown in jail. Like, that's what that means. So that works better for me, which is still, you know, I didn't make it up. But I'm taking that interpretation of it and working the story around that. So it's from a legitimate interpretation of of what that means. Um, For for those listeners not familiar, uh, Shifra and Pua were the the midwives, right? Who were against the the, uh, Pharaoh's law and not murdering the male Right, Hebrew they're, children. Right, that they're like, they're, they're, no, we're, we're not doing that. So, and, um, you know, so it's, so again, that's, that's the goal is to sort of take it in terms of like what the text offers you and not be too, I remember like one of the producers, he's like, can we make Miriam's dad a bad guy? I remember just like, no, like I can't, there's nothing to indicate that he was a bad guy. That, you know, he was a leader and that's, but he was, if anything, he was, you know, a good person. There's no, I can't do that. You know, so it's, it, it, there's some point you got to push back as the writer and go, that's just not accurate. You know, if I'm writing a story from scratch and making it up, that's yeah, then we'll see. Are there, are there any actors that you can, that you would you're like, your dream would be like, yes, I want that person to play. Um, yeah. That's, um, you know, like uh, I think a Gal Gadot playing, uh, you know, Batya or Bethia, that would be a great cast. And it'd be interesting yeah. to have the Israeli play the Egyptian prince. Uh, you know, she just looks at that, you know, and I mean, she's, she's the right age, you know, she's the right look and that, you know, she, that'd be like, you know, in, in terms of the goals, but it's even in terms of like the, the, yeah, we have a child mirror and an adult mirror, but like it's the adult mirror we're looking at. Um, there are a few people that you know, who, uh, you know who we've looked at. But um, what's the thing? Uh, Zoe Kravitz uh, looked yeah. good. That, um, you know, there are a few actresses who we've looked at and said that they, um, you know, it's it's no one's really read it and had a negative reaction to it. It's, sure. it's either been very positive or I want to do this, you know, which is nice. So that, and I think it's kind of oddly enough in a cornball way, kind of what what we need now based on what we've been going through. It's kind of like a good, yeah. you know, feel good story. And it, it, it is, it's, you know, it's championing women and to say, I didn't write it because I'm this raging feminist. I just felt honestly, they were constantly getting the shaft in the story. And I kind of just got sick of it, you know, just like, why are they leaving this out? Um, true, true. You know, so that's, that's kind of why I wrote it. And uh, the, the Patrick one is a lot more fun. You know, he, he was more of a fun human being. It's then, uh, we have his writings, you know, when I read his confessions, it's, yeah, there were parts where I just laughed. Like, he's just like, look, I know I'm not going to make any money. I'm going to be poor. So I might as well just, you know, like that's how he has this kind yeah. of self-deprecating style about himself. And he's, you know, so. Were they, uh, was Ireland Christian by the fourth century? No, uh, they were not. They were like, uh, um, they were, um, whatchamacallit. They, they worshiped the trees and the start. They, um, Druid. Druids. Druids. Yeah, mostly Druids. They were Druid. And he came in within a century of him dying. It was, he, they were almost all Christian. It's, that's great. It, but he was smart. Like he didn't was like they're heathens and burning in hell. That's he's like, well, let's see what do you believe and here's what we believe. Oh, that's interesting. Certain things are similar and like I incorporate that and it, it's like the, yeah. the the clover that comes from the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit in their tradition. But he took druid things and made them incorporated them into Christianity. So that that was his clever little. You know, he wasn't anti. People said if he worked today, he'd, he'd work for like Apple or something like that. He was a very good marketer and uh, did, you know he was very good at what he did and wasn't. He didn't push back against the Druids. He said, let's work together and see maybe we have, you know, similar things and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, you see the places where uh, Christian uh, missionaries succeeded were the ones where they took the local religions and kind of, okay, let's figure out how to blend them together. Yeah, yeah the, the, the classic Irish cross was sort of a Druid, you know, that they kind of stand, yeah, yeah. you know, things, things of that nature. So, I'm going to suggest Ryan Reynolds to play St. Patrick. 
It's, you know, there are a few people that do run for us. You know, but yeah, let's let's get the Miriam one done first, and then you know we'll say one thing at a time. But who knows? I wouldn't mind if one leapfrogs the other. I could care less. Amazing. So how how do you go about advancing a movie? I mean, that's uh, like take us a little bit into. Um, yeah, you have to get someone to read it first, which is very difficult. And then uh, it's I got lucky. I had uh, there were three producers on my film, actually four. And uh, it's, they're each kind of pushing very. It takes a long time. It's you know. You, to crack the bubble of, uh, you know, for example, like uh, Greta Gerwig, they're interviewing her and they asked her point blank, what do you want to see next? She goes, uh, the Bible, but through the eyes of the women. It's, I'm just like, oh. well, we have your product. You know, anybody could say, oh, Greta would be great to direct. Right. Oh, yeah, she'd be great. Right. Right. I have what she, what she just verbalized. So that's again, but it's hard to sort of crack that shell of, uh, the, you know, of all the people around her and her agents and, and managers that, you know, so it's tough to, you know, often to get to people like this. So. Um, that's that. That's the thing. So. You mentioned you mentioned um, on some of your earlier stand-up things that I was watching uh, on YouTube before uh, you know before we did this um, that you were teaching also for a while. Are you still uh, doing any oh, kind yeah, of teaching? Or- that. Jeez, <laughs> fourteen years. Yeah, I mean that was the last day job I had, and I, did, I actually remember I was a teaching assistant, and I never got certified. You're like, why don't you get certified? I go, no, because that, then that will mean that I've made more of a commitment to this and the stand. Like, I'm not doing that. And uh, the, I remember, like, the less I worked, the more money I began to make and stand up. I'm just like, maybe this is a pattern here that I should. So I went from full time to part time. That you know, I didn't want to lose my medical insurance. And then uh, I remember, like, the last year I did, they're like, "You're really not coming back." I go, "No." And uh, it, it was one of these weird, uh, you know, strange things. I remember I was actually in New York, and I was at some Shabbat Oneg, like late on Friday night, into someone's apartment, and someone turned to me and asked, "They go, what do you do for a living?" I go, "I'm a comedian." And they go, "Really? That's all you do?" And I had to stop and go. Yeah, that's it. That's all I do. And they went, wow, that's great. And I thought I made it at that moment. I was like, I feel like I'm, everything else is just gravy. You know, I'm finally being able, able to do what I want to do for a living and, and not, not having this day job that was tough and, you know, all that stuff. So how, how long did it take you to get there? Uh, geez, I mean, mine was weird because it, it's the, I would stay in LA and I would get more acting jobs. Like I'd be on television more. Uh, but, um, you know, when you're a working comedian, you're out of town more. So, uh, it's, I would say we're doing nothing else over 10 years, I would say, before I did, you know, was not doing anything else um, at that point. Maybe longer, maybe a little longer. What kind of stuff have you acted in? Mostly sitcoms. Uh, that, you know, I did a chunk of commercials every now and then, um, you know, but uh, I wouldn't audition. When I had uh, my agents, I had decently effective agents, and I'd get out all the time. And the teacher I worked with would let me go and run out to these auditions every now and then. I'd book something, and then I couldn't be there. And, um, you know, but, uh, it's, it's very, acting is so up and down, you know, at least with stand up, you write it, produce it and direct it. And they say with stand up, get good at it and find your niche. My niche is, you know, Hey, we need someone to do, you know, 45 minutes to an hour of squeaky clean material in front of a bunch of Orthodox Jews. Yeah. Good luck. Like most comics can't or have no interest in doing that. There's like me, a handful of other guys and that's it. You know, we all try to help each other and, you know, suggest to each other for the next time they want to do a comedy night or. So, but for any like synagogue banquet function, this, that, like I'm one of the go-tos for that. I do a good job of those. So. Yeah, you do. It's, it's hilarious stuff. Um, yeah, what's, what's the coolest, not necessarily the most famous, but the coolest sitcom you worked on and the worst sitcom you worked on? Uh, acting what? Uh, well, obviously you don't forget, like the first one I did was the one called Dave's World. Then uh, that was Dave's World. Yeah. With, uh, uh, he, you know, all of a show Harry Anderson had passed away, but he, uh, yeah. That did, yeah, that was like a top 20 show. So that was like a big deal. And it was the first job I ever got. And it did, so I, it was the third audition I ever did. And I'm like, oh, this, this will be easy. You know, I was like, third audition in. I've got this stuff. 
you know, hey, my career is going to be a breeze. It's a surprise. It, you know, that was kind of fun because I, it was a whole week. It was a pretty sizable role. And I, it, it was just like this other world. As You know, they give you a trailer and this place is nicer than my apartment. And it's <laughs> food everywhere. And it's just people kissing your butt. Oh, we can take and make a mistake. Don't worry about it. We'll do it again. It's it just it's you're getting in my hand what I thought was a lot of money that, you know, for a week. And these guys are getting 50, 60 grand to do this every week. You know, it, wow. it just that to me, this, but that was back in the days when, it did, you know, if you were on a sitcom, like that was it. Um, you know, so it's it just, it was such, a, I remember it ending and me sitting there going, I don't want to leave. Like, this is great. I can't believe these guys could do this every two weeks. You know, um, I'm taking the trailer with me. <laughs> yeah. That, you know, and I've done some, you know, small things, you know, like cable stuff, which, you know, I mean, you're in the middle of it, you know, it's not going to go anywhere, but, uh, you know, that, I mean, I, some of them, uh, the fun ones you'll have that I had like one line on this sitcom, Boston common that Anthony Clark was in. He was started and it's, he's a great comic. And, uh, so it, it was just a season, but it was, he was on it. Tosh Campbell was on it. So it was like, they were kind yeah, of on fun. it. It was a great show. It was just fun. Like I had a good time because it was people that I knew and, um, did, um, you know, so that was fun. And it's, it's, commercials can be great depending on what you're doing. Um, you know, it depends on what the shoot is and that, you know, how often is it running? Commercials are a real roll of the dice. You know, if it airs a lot and it's national, you're making a ton of money. Uh, What's like the feel of it? Do, do people feel like it's going to come back uh, because of the COVID stuff? Like, what, what's going to come back? Like, it's hard to film. It's hard to do oh. production. It's yeah, hard it's to- actually one of the producers on our our film for the um, that's for the Miriam project. She did. Uh, she just film wrapped a film in uh, Georgia, and it, it's they had to. They said we got lucky. We had one of the hospitals that volunteered a situation where they would eighty tests a day every day and zero positives. So then she said we didn't have a soon, but you had, that's how you start your day. It's like with a COVID test for everyone, every, you know, so, I mean, I know it's possible you can do it, but it's a pain in the neck. Yeah. That's, I mean, look, I think once the vaccine comes out, I think this will dissipate, God willing. Um, you know, but, uh, it's, yeah, in the immediate future, you're just going to have to sort of work around it. Yeah. It, which is hard to do. I mean, if yeah, very, like, very. just where, where you have such a, a large amount of people who's, you know, a fundamental part of what they do is to stand up in front of other people. Oh yeah. America. I mean, look, we need, I need an audience, you know, that's so it's for me like to cut our legs out from this, you know, to have 20 people, even in Israel, I have 20 people at a time. Oh, 30 outdoors, you know, it, it's very hard. You know, I just don't think they realize like how many people this affects. Somebody mentioned once one of these radio talk shows, he goes, if the bureaucrats were also not getting paid, it's like, cause they're still getting their paychecks. Uh, everyone would be back at work in 48 hours. We'll do the best we can. We'll pour everything into therapeutics and helping people at the hospitals. We'll open new this, but every, everyone would be back at work. Everyone. This, because they don't realize how devastating that, you know, this is in terms, I mean, I'm obviously biased because I'm one of the ones who's had, you know, the legs cut out from under as far as the work goes, but it's even not to be too Jewish about it. But I remember, you know, low tiered stuff where I don't commit murder. So the rabbis, I remember in the, in the Bible, I'm reading the part, portion of that. It's like a month, a couple months ago. And they asked like, why is that even in there? That's obvious. Why should we put that in? You know, doesn't everybody know that the Egyptians had that rule for God's sakes? Like, why is that even? And they say, because you can destroy a person in more ways than one, embarrassing them in public. And what's the other example they use? Taking away someone's livelihood. Like it's that bad. It's they equated to murder to do this. And you're doing this to, you know, that's to so many people. It's just, it's, it's just, it's devastating. It's look, and I understand the other side. Look, my mom has type two diabetes and is older. Like, am I more concerned? Yeah, I am. Like, I'm more worried for her. Does that give me the right to take away your living? No, it's, you know, so it's, that's, I understand the balancing act. Everyone's afraid and I get it. It's, you know, but it's, you know, these, the re- I, I feel terrible that I have to leave Israel for the high holidays. It seems absurd that, you know, but I can't live in this, 
open close, open close, you know, where I don't know if I'm going to be able to be on stage or not. It's just, it's insane. And I'm here trying to raise money for a charity and now they're cutting me out from doing this. I just, you know, I just, I'm, you know, it's, it's tough stuff. And your perspective is actually more personal in that you've had COVID. Yeah. Like lockdowns or not. I don't know if this is what you're saying, but it seems like what you're saying is like, look, locking down, Probably not the answer. Taking people's well, the, 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 for 15 years, to my understanding, no. the, the, the theory was you're never supposed to lock down ever. That, that's what 15 years of research was. It's that guy who just wrote a book on this. He said it was thrown out the window because it happened. I'm convinced if this didn't happen in New York, the center of media in the world, like if this happened in Tallahassee, Florida, they either would not have cared that, or it would not nearly be the, the, you know, the level of insane panic. It's, um, you know, that's going on now. And, and even my flight in here, the rules are different in all three countries. So I think these are just guessing. You know, everyone's so much of this is posing. You know, it's just bureaucrats feel like they have to do something to show that I'm, you know, and uh, it's the question is, how much good does this do? You know, I'm I'm obviously anti. So I'm more biased. Personally, I'll admit it because this affects me. You know, I don't work online. I don't. It's hard. I, you know, so it's much harder for me. Like I just stopped looking at my. I lost so much money. I stopped looking at my calendar. I was just like, it's too depressing. You know. know? I canceled uh, at least thirty lectures. You know. Yeah. I mean, I told somebody. I said, listen, if it's a matter of, uh, you know, getting, I'll never get COVID again. You know, and uh, you'll keep me out of where, and we'll continue with this or. Open it, I'll get it again. You can inject it back in my arms again. It, you know, I'd rather go through the three, four days of suffering that I did again. Or that's just the COVID a, patch. If you don't mind telling, you know, what, what was it like to have COVID? Uh, this, I had a dry. This, it's hard for me to tell because I remember I was in Ireland. People ask where'd you get it. I got it because I was in Ireland, London, and New York. And like, and where in New York was I? The Bronx, Queens, Long Island. All my shows were like in the worst places. You know, I remember I was shocked. Actually, my last show was still scheduled to Chabad. They'll do anything. And it was uh, March 10th. It was pouring day. And that was the last time I was on a stage in front of people uh, that's in that country. And uh, this, everything else then got canceled like clockwork. And then um, it's, it's, yeah. So I had like a dry cough there, but I mean, in Ireland, I got sick, but it wasn't from, cause the, the uh, you ever like breathe in and you go, oops, that was a mistake. Uh, like I was in a gym and it was freezing cold and I got hot and cold. My It was freezing outside in Dublin and my room was very warm. And so I was going hot to cold and running to the gym in shorts and back. It was just stupid. It, and then I got, you know, like a dry cough there. It, and then I went to New York and I began to feel a little bit not so great. But when I got to L.A., I think I got – my guess would be in the gyms and the movie theater going back and forth. It, and I had uh, – woke up with the sweats, um, you know, had uh, had the, the back aches, the body aches. That was the only thing that really bothered me was like the body aches. And I called my doctor. I said, listen, should I go get tested? He goes, no. So what's the point? Either way, if you come to the office and you have it, you're going to give it to somebody who doesn't. And if you don't, you might get it from somebody who does. What's there's no either way. My prescription is the same. Go home and rest for a week. So there's no point in you get coming in to get tested. And then I remember doing Havdalah actually, and I couldn't smell the spices, the basami. Uh, and I remember thinking to myself, well, this, this was very early, obviously. I was like, I wonder if these are just old. Is there something wrong with these? And then the next week I could smell it. I'm like, that's strange. And then, you know, obviously all over the TV, it's, oh, if you can't smell or taste, I'm like, I have nothing. Right. And I, I went and got an anti- antibodies test. A friend of mine luckily had a lab above his office. And I went and they, they just started the day before. And I got the rapid test. Luckily, somebody came to make an appointment in this, but somebody had canceled and I got it. And they're like, you're positive for the antibodies. I'm like, I knew it. So I just had a feeling I had this thing. And so it was pretty relieving knowing that I had it, you know, that now that it's over. And so I was, I was in New York in the end of February uh, on a business trip. And then I came back to Israel and I felt under the weather in New York and I felt under the weather in a couple of the other cities that I was in, in the States. And then when I came back, 
you know, I, I started feeling better. And then a couple of weeks went by, I think a month went by, actually started feeling sick again. And I was sure, I was sure I had it. Like I was right. in New York, all the right you're, times. You're the super spreader. And, it was I, you. and yeah, it was me, it was me. No. So I was like, I was sure I, I was going to have this, you know, and um, you know how it works. Like you're paranoid, like, you know, oh, I, because it sucks to get kind of sick during the pandemic and you don't know if you have COVID or if you don't have COVID. And, and I, and I, you know, would take all these precautions and feel really paranoid and anxious about it. And then finally they were doing testing uh, where I live to see like, what do they call it? Serological testing to see like right. what percent of the population had it. And it was negative. And I was like, what do you mean it's negative? Like, no, no, you, you didn't have it. Yeah. And no, I was just, I was really disappointed. Yeah, I celebrated in the office when she's like, you're positive. Yeah. I went, woohoo. There's this lady behind me who was, who didn't, was negative. She was not, I should have shut up. Like she, she like walked out, stormed out. I'm just like, I, I probably should have waited until I was outside to like celebrate but it was funny. They put me to work after I had it. All my friends were like, can you pick this up for me and grab this and get this and get that? Because I had it so early, relatively speaking. You know, so you are I'm the delivery boy at the kosher marketplace. I'm like picking up. He's the COVID Sabbath boy. Look at me. No mask. I can just, you know. Yeah, I, I said, I asked him when I went out, because this is before all this mask. Yes, no. Like, can I throw this out? They go, nah, just in care. Whatever. You know, but um, <laughs> the prevailing side, most people think, even the doctor, they were like, yeah, you're probably – you know, it's it's stupid for you to wear on, but whatever. Just do it so you don't get in trouble. <laughs> I feel paranoid every time I want to cough in public, you know, and it's not like I'm not sick. I just want to clear my throat. Funny, I have photic sneeze reflex. I sneeze when I look at bright light or the sun. And I'd be oh, yeah. outside in L.A. and I'd sneeze and people would like, I go, I have this. It runs in the family. I don't have COVID. I have not COVID. You know, it's just funny. So. I can imagine 20 years ago that would have been a classic, you know, Seinfeld bit. It's not COVID. Yeah. yeah. So it's just it's nuts. Wow. Uh, do you think there's going to be a whole like generation of COVID joke jokes coming out? Are they coming out already? Well, I've got a chunk. Uh, you know, that I've had some fun ones where uh, that, I just found this joke actually talking on stage about people who do puzzles. I'm like, well, you shouldn't have. That was a giant waste of time. It's, you know, I'd, watching Netflix twice, I think, would be more productive than doing a puzzle. I'm just like, the picture's on the box. You know how this ends. Yeah, this is stupid. You know, at least get a puzzle with no picture on it. So it's a nice surprise. Oh, a horse. You know, but this is... It makes I don't I don't get it I don't get the mind frame of the puzzle people uh, just I don't, I don't understand it. Um, My wife puzzles I can't do them. Yeah, that's I've done. Yeah, I come up with a bunch of stuff that he even here in Israel specific to Israel. Like when I people were upset that I only had to do the uh, I only had to do quarantining for a week, and I said, listen, I suffered too. It's very hard jogging outside without your phone. You know, that's, there are things that I have to suffer too. You know, it's uh, I had to be careful. You know, so um, <laughs> a bunch of stuff you come up with. So wow, what what. Um... You know, first of all, I hope you have a lot of luck with these two uh, movie projects. Oh, thank you. Are you? I mean, I know uh, I can imagine like a lot of creative people. Do you always have new projects bubbling in your mind? Are you looking at like what's the next project? Yeah, the, the next two I wrote, I completed one, which I'd have to probably rewrite. Just go back. I wrote one about Joshua. That I think to me, he's one of my favorite, my favorite character in the Bible. It's, everybody's like Moses, Moses, Moses. I go, what about what happens next? Like what happens next? True. I think is, True. it's, you know, that's where all the action is. If you want like a classic Hollywood, this, this you know, the, the fighting and the sect and murder and all this stuff like that, that's where a lot of the it's movies is. True. It's, and I actually find him to be a fascinating character. Like he's stepping into impossible shoes, impossible. That's how does someone like that? That's, you know, I find that character interesting. So I wrote that. That was the first one that I ever started. Um, and then I'm writing one about Josiah. Oddly enough, I'm in the middle of that one. Uh, if you were to ask someone like, who's the greatest king who ever lived? And this isn't my opinion. This is what's written in the text. You know, no one was like before him and there'll be no one like him afterwards. It's Yoshiahu, Josiah. I'm just like, really? How's that? No, what's his story? 
I began to look at yeah, him too, but um, you know, we don't, we don't hear a lot about him. We hear about yeah, David. I, mean, I, mean, I think part of the problem is that I think also in Judaism, even in terms of the religious strain, going to a religious institution, a yeshiva, it all became Gemara, 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 Gemara. You know, it's all or a lot. That's it. So there's very little. If you ask a black hat yeshiva buffer, when was the last time you studied the prophets or Navi? He'll tell you second grade. They don't, you know, sure. like that at all. So it's, there's there's a, a huge fundamental hole. I would say in the education system, as far as learning history and learning what our history is, and uh, the, the fact that the fact that that one line and you know about Josiah, just like, well, who was this guy? And like, no one knows. And all these stories about boy kings and all, like all that stuff comes from this, and like no one knows this. It's, yeah, it's like the, there's that famous uh, joke. I'm going to butcher it totally, but there's the famous joke about the yeshiva bacher, and he, you know, heard something about the Tanakh, and he goes, "Oh, I read it in Gemara." Yeah, yeah. That used to not be the case. Yeshivas used to be very more well-rounded, and you would study, but it became this thing to know Gemara more than everybody else, and that, that just began to dominate everything. That's the, Apparently, that's a recent trend over the last century or two, that that's not, it's not you know, 100% how things used to be. Were you raised... Um... Did you grow up in like with a religious foundation going yeah, to day school? Yeah, I grew up in a Zionist household, but I went to Orthodox day school, but I was more of like a young Judaic kid, you know, in terms of like, um, you know, socially and stuff like that. I grew up in that movement, but it, I was an NCSY by proxy just because of the school I went to kind of. But, um, you know, it, it, the summer camps and all that stuff were all young Judeo. That was my more of a background in that. So. And is this fascination with uh, trying to create, you know, Jewish themed uh, content, is this new or has this kind of always been there? Um, that, that, I don't even know if it's necessarily Jewish thing. I think it's biblical themes. It's, you know, look, Patrick, the other one I wrote, I just think that it's, I just like history. I think that people, again, who ignore it, that there are certain things you can learn from it, like with, especially even with new ideas, even nowadays in today's society, I'm just like, you know, this has been tried before. You know, you need to look at history and, you know, this has been said already that, you know, so I think the more we ignore it and don't learn from it, it's like the same thing, this classic line, those who are, don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. That, you know, because not a lot of people study it and you should. And I think that's, Oh, that's no. where the fascination comes from, um, you know. Yeah, I mean, they say history might not might not repeat itself, but it certainly rhymes. So yeah. uh, there's a lot uh, there's a lot we can learn from that. Awesome. Is it hard being a comedian in the states with what's going on? Like just, I think that's the one thing. Like you could say, like the the negative as far as like the, the internet and YouTube. It's it sort of opened the floodgate. There's so many comics now. It's you know, I mean, I. I even when I started, there were so much fewer. That's why it's, if you're starting now, it's got to be so hard. I mean, I do not envy. I have a tremendous respect for people that are coming up and doing stand up now. It's like a younger generation because it's they were they were. I thought there were a ton when I was starting. That I mean, and now it's just everyone and their mother seems to like be going on stage and wanting to do. You know, how do you separate yourself? And it's it's just got to be very very difficult. And you know, there's so, I would say like there's so many platforms. How can you make any money? It's a, you know, it's, it's just, to me, it's overwhelming. I think that you got to, again, but you'll focus on your thing and do your thing and hopefully it'll. Who's your favorite young kind of up and coming comic that you've seen? Um, I would say Fahim Anwar pops into my, I was like watching him. Uh, that, that, you know, he's one of the ones that I really enjoy watching. Um, it's, I don't know that, you know, I haven't, it's my own fault. I sort of hang, you sort of hang with your generation of comics or the guys that you looked up to that's coming up. So what, what I was asking though was more like in terms of writing material or presenting material to, to crowds now, uh, not COVID time, but before like the challenges of, of presenting material in a time where people are just very censored. Oh, there's the whole woke thing. Yeah. That's um, I find, you know, that, I mean, like within the comedic community that we'll sort of shoot the other way. We'll go even overboard. I mean, sometimes it can get stupid. Like, you know, I had this one joke uh, now based on, I said, uh, 
one thing I've learned from this, I'm never going on safari with anyone from Wuhan. Like, I don't want to be an African. Look at that majestic giraffe. Like, do you put soy sauce in that? I'm like, no, you don't need to eat everything that's alive. You know, like, I'm not going to Australia with anyone from Wuhan. Look at that cute koala bear. Do you stir fire? But you don't do either one. Like, stop eating everything. And, uh, like, I did that joke, that's, which I thought was – which got a good reaction on the zoo event. And one lady, like – it was like a Hadassah event. I was terribly offended. I'm just like, you can't be offended on behalf of someone else. That's sort of my new rule. Like, unless you're that person, it's, I don't want to hear it. If I'm making fun of Mexicans and you're not Mexican, you're not allowed to be offended on behalf of them. Sorry. <laughs> it's, those are the breaks. It's, I know, well, I'm offended. Like, everyone wants to be offended on behalf of someone else. It's like, I see all these Black Lives Matter people. They arrested, like, seven people. That, and, like, they're all white. They're all white, rich kids. I'm like, get a job. Yeah, I'm convinced, like, Corona's part of that. If they were busy and having jobs and this, you know, it's, you know, they just want to have a cause. And it's everybody wants a cause. And this is the one they've latched on to. I'm just like, it's, I, I'm not into, it's just so phony to me. It's, you know, it's just BS. So comics, I think, tend to go the other way. We'll tend to get more offensive as that stuff. I mean, amongst comedians, um, you know, but it's, yeah, it's this over, overly politically correct woke nonsense. It, I think it'll shift. I think it goes in waves and I think it'll stop. After. I think it's also easier, you know, in a time where we have all kinds of like open platforms that people can you know, create their own content. You're not necessarily inhibited by offending the gatekeepers and then being canceled from, you know, whatever YouTube show you're doing or whatever podcast you happen to be doing. If you cross some sort of an imaginary line. Well, that's, I mean, you are in a sense because it, it, if you have sponsors in your podcast, that's how you make your living. It's, they'll come after you. You know, so it's, it's it's ridiculous. I mean, it's like they eat their own. It's what they said. You know, the far, far left crazies will eat their own. And it's, you know, I always wonder, I was like, what if somebody just said, no, you have to fire this guy. I go, no, it's, they'll forget about it in three days and go on to somebody else. Like that, it's, it's going to have to take one of the big corporate people who, when someone makes a mistake, you know, and, you know, you, you know, uses the N word by mistake, you know, call someone that, or, you know, calls a gay guy a fag or whatever. And, just, and the network goes, and he apologized. The network goes, that's enough. We're, 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 we're done. You fire him. No, no, I'm not firing him. You, you Twitter mob bullies can, can go, can go stick it. It's going to take one company doing that. It's, I mean, I just go, and what, what would be the harm? Cause they're going to forget. They're going to forget in two, three days and go attack someone else. So just say, no, I'm not firing anyone anymore if they make a mistake verbally. I'm not doing it. If everyone makes mistakes, everyone has a slip of the tongue, everyone screws up, you know, it says things that they don't mean or they do mean privately. Or, they do mean, or, or it's just funny. You know, it's enough. Or it's, what? It happens to be funny. You're not serious. It's like somebody happens to say something that's, that's funny, but maybe it's offensive. Yeah, that they said it. It, are we banning Eddie Murphy now? Because the, the, the title track, uh, Joe Matarese did this great bit about this where he says, the title track of his old comedy album, one of the first ones was Faggots, and the second one is Faggots Revisited. It's, he could never do that today. It's so it's, no. is he banned now? Because he, you know, it's ridiculous. You know, just but back then, it's everyone was sitting back laughing at him, going, yeah. you know, he'd make fun of the game. Yeah. You know, it's he says it all the time in Delirious. I mean, he's drawing Delirious. He drops that all the time. Yeah, it's constant. Just, you know, does, does that mean he's not funny now? That he he was a racist back then, anti-gay. No, it's back then. You know, things change, time change. If you watch Mickey Rooney do with the buck teeth and the Asian stuff, does that mean he's a horrible racist again? No. It's, you know, you have to judge people in the time that they're in. And uh, it's it's ridiculous this, you know, going back eight years for what someone tweeted, you know, is it's just, it's so absurd. You know, it's just, it has to stop. And it's going to take one CEO of a tech company or some big corporation when someone slips up and the Twitter mob comes after him to go, no, 
go stick it. Is that is there that one guy? Well, who has enough balls to do that? That's that's what yeah. that, that's what I'm waiting for. That's why I was I was actually happy when um there there was uh, the black comic uh, Nick Cannon. And, and right. I said, you know, some really anti-Semitic stuff. He he did get fired, but the Jewish community actually didn't come after him. They sat with him and, and they sat with him and said, let's talk. Let's teach you. Let's, and yeah. I was like, yeah, that's a good response. You know, when uh, when the NFL player, Deshaun Jackson, came out and retweeted something that was really anti-Semitic, Julian Edelman sat with yeah, him. Yeah, hey, I'll take you to the Holocaust Museum. That, you know, yeah. But this cancel that's culture what we has to It has to you know, yeah, he'll be fine. He's a huge celebrity. He'll be fine. Yeah. That's kind of what I, I've always, um, you know, I've been here for 15 years. Benny's been here for 16 years and you, you've been here a lot. I, I, I really like being in Israel because nobody's PC here. Yeah. No, and, and you can make fun of anybody. You can make fun of anyone and it's great, you know, yeah. and, and, and every time and I, I go back. I go, you can always go after the Arabs. No problem. <laughs> that's, that's a one uniting fact. No, I'm just teasing, but that, you know, like, all right. So, you can make fun of anyone here. I, I, I was it Bill Burr was here last year and I went to yeah. the Bill Burr show and he was like, I can say anything here and you guys are going to laugh and it's great. Nobody's sensitive about anything. Yeah. He's making fun. Well, Bill, you know, Bill, Bill can't say anything. That's he's, he's noted to be that guy. So that's he's yeah. very, very, common. very nice guy too. So that's awesome. That's awesome. Do you notice that like when you go to the States though, you have to sort of like yes. put on the brakes yes. because you're going to be not tactful and you're going to offend people. Yeah. And, and I've, and I've noticed every year gradually since I left every, and I go back once, sometimes twice a year, it's, it's worse and worse and worse. And people oh, it's, are yeah, more it's ridiculous. It's, it's, you know, especially with the cop politics is so divided there now that, you know, everybody's looking for a reason to be upset. So, so I stop, I stop getting upset and I just start trying to troll people. <laughs> try and get them fired. Yeah, you know that's amazing. So, um, so hopefully, 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 we won't be in too much of a lockdown, and you'll be back uh, around. Yes, I get Sukkot. here. That's, I leave Wednesday, and then I'll be back like the following Wednesday. Basically, I leave on Wednesday, and I'll be back uh, on Tuesday, the 29th So, that's a few days before Sukkot starts. And the goal is, uh, you know, that hopefully we'll have. Uh, we have two shows actually scheduled on the fourth in Nofi Alon, and it's hopefully like we'll be able to continue doing those. It's and from there because there's so many nights of Kolomoyed, it's even during the day. Like if someone wants to have a sukkah party during the day, and it's like Avi, can you come and do ten minutes, whatever? We'll donate to whatever. Great. Let's let's try to you know get as many of those as possible. God willing, that'll be allowed. So that's the goal. Awesome. So we're gonna try to spread the word, and uh, we'll put this up on our platform. Uh, for all of the Jewanced listeners out there. All right, great. And, and, remind, and remind people again, if they uh, just heard this podcast and they want to go and donate to this awesome cause. Yeah, you uh, go to And if you want to see the movie we made, the documentary about the tour we made, uh, it's called Land of Milk and Funny. Uh, if you go to landofmilkandfunny.com, that's actually, we've been playing at a lot of the Jewish film festivals. People really like it. Um, and so you can watch that. Uh, landofmilkandfunny.com has a link to the Vimeo where you can watch that film. So and that's- We'll put all that up on the show notes. Uh, on our website and on our uh, Facebook and all our social media. And if people want to follow you and uh, what you're doing, how yeah, can they do uh, that? Avi Lieberman Comedy and uh, L-I-B-E-R-M-A-N, Avi Lieberman Comedy. Uh, uh, that's on Instagram. And I'm usually posting stuff on Facebook and stuff like that. But yeah, Avi Lieberman Comedy is the Instagram account. When do you go back to the States? Um, as of now, I fly back when I fly back in a month. So it's on the 13th, I have a flight back, but who knows? All my friends in California are like, don't come back. So there's the states on fire and there's nothing. I've seen a lot of stuff online recently from Californians of like, oh, do we want to leave? Have do you we see the wildfires? 
the oh, fires. Yeah. The it's, it's New York City's yeah. cold, and it's just you know. It, but yeah, it's my friends are look as long as I'm my friend who's apartment. I mean, he doesn't want to. He's like, I'm not coming back into two weeks quarantine. So forget that noise. So as long as this place is open, it's, I'll try to milk this as long as I can. Um, you know, you it's, we'll see. And even if I, if even in November and it doesn't look good, I already dropped by a real estate place and looked at like, hey, what's a place I can rent for a month? Or let's so already look at in terms of those. You know those good. just in case. You know, so um, we'll, and if you want to do a show in Rehovot, we'll hook it up. Yeah, you let me know. So hopefully by then we'll we'll, we'll be uh, vaccine will be in full bloom right after the election. That that you know that's my guess. So exactly good times. Awesome. Well, enjoy yourself in Greece. Thanks very I much. Envy you. Right, big adventure on land too. So you know how much can I enjoy myself? It's Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. You know, but I'll try. So yeah, yeah. it's um, stuck in a room. In between, I'll try to enjoy myself. So. Well, thank you so much. Comedian, screenwriter, actor, uh, generally funny and interesting guy, Avi Lieberman. Thank you so much for joining us and raising awareness for the Kobe Mandel Foundation and for Comedy for Kobe. And uh, we wish you a very good uh, Shana Tova, very good New Year. Thanks, guys. Juanced is a joint creation of Benny Shoulder and Dan Pfefferman. Make sure to subscribe on whatever platform you get your podcasts. For more information and show notes about this and previous episodes, visit us at juanced.com and feel free to hit us with your comments and suggestions. Thank you for tuning in and we'll see you back for the next episode of Juanced.